This is a free download from Delancey Elam Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30am in the Delancey Elam Church building at the Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Island of Guernsey. To contact us or find out more information about us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk. Incredible declaration this morning, isn't it? Nothing worse when you don't really know sometimes how someone's going to react. Their moods change, and sometimes we just don't know how sometimes people are going to respond or react to this. The amazing thing about God this morning, He's always in a good mood. Isn't that wonderful? He's mo- he doesn't have mood swings. He's good, and He's good all the time. Because he's, He doesn't change circumstances, even our failures don't change him. He's constantly, continually in a good mood. So that means this morning that that we come with all kinds of needs, all kinds of situations this morning, that we can know because of the mercy of God that we're told is new every morning. His, His mercy never fails. His mercy never comes to an end. Your failure, your mistakes are not bigger than his mercy. His mercy is... And his goodness, you know, I think his goodness far, far, far exceeds the devil's badness. Let me have a really grasp there, how good God really is. And in the midst of that comes just incredible mercy. And sometimes when you just open and say, Lord, today I, I just need a healing touch. I need a, a touch from you. I need you to, to do something miraculous in my life. When you understand that God's good continually, constantly, moment by moment, and his mercy is there, continually then there's a constant flow towards you this morning the only barrier is us the only thing that restricts god is us sometimes our lack of comprehension of his mercy and his goodness and his and his desire for us this morning his incredible depth of love that flows towards us so you just lift your hand and say lord today i just need Mercy, I need goodness, I need your touch, I need your hand to flow towards this one. And I believe that no matter how difficult the situation is, even by your grace and your mercy, you're going to turn it around to actually come well for my good. Oh, hallelujah, just praise him. Thank him, Lord, thank you. We praise you. We give you all the honor, all the glory, all the praise. We honor you, we praise you, we bless you. We bless you at all times. Lord, we forget not one of your benefits this morning. You forgive all our iniquities. You heal all our diseases. You crown our lives with loving kindness and mercy. You lift our life up from the, you lift us from the miry clay. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, you're for us. You're not against us this morning. That God be for us and who can be against us. And nothing will separate us from your love, nothing in all creation, no past, no present, nothing can separate us, no demon, no power, nothing can separate us from your love that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Come on, let's just give him a, let's thank him, give him a round of applause, let's thank him this morning. Hallelujah, hallelujah, he's so good, so full of mercy, so full of grace. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. I think that there's a word um, that I've, I sort of heard at the beginning of the service and 
I said, Lord, if that's of you, then don't let it go. It hasn't gone. The Lord has, over the last few months, maybe even years, been promising us of the change, changes that are going to happen in the church. This morning, the Lord is saying, the tops come off the bottle. And I think that that is something for us to rejoice in. We've held on to it, we've loved it, we've seen signs of it, but the Lord is saying, you can't go backwards now. There is no going back once the top has come off. There's no holding it back. The other thing that the the Lord has said to me, and it's one of those I really don't quite understand, but I will share it. I've said to the Lord, is that of you? And he says, yes. The other thing is, I'm conscious that we have visitors amongst us today, but the Lord is saying that all of you and some that aren't here at the moment have each a vital part to play in it. Now, I know that seems strange when we have visitors, but the Lord reminded me we visited Pastor John and Angie in church in Wales some three years ago. And during that service, one of the elders broke up a jigsaw and he gave each of us a piece. And he said, this is something that the Lord is saying to you. Each of you has a vital piece to play in the ministry of this church. We prayed probably, I doubt if we missed more than a couple of days in those, those, those three years praying for them in that situation and I hope that everybody did. I think that the Lord is saying something similar to you, that be you a regular here or a visitor, maybe it's your prayers, whatever, that everybody here today and some that aren't have a vital part to play. He's also reminded me the thing that he said repeatedly this year. He is not looking to just the leaders. He is looking to the whole of the congregation to release in ministry, in power, in his might. You may look on yourself as not having the power, the ability to do it. God sees what you can be and he is saying to each of you, In what I'm calling you, I will equip you. You are listening to a free download from Delancey Elam Church. Joy to welcome Paul and Anne, uh, the pastors many years, yeah? For many years, I know pastors at Vazon, and now they're at Clacton doing amazing work in Clacton on Sea. Sounds great, Clacton, doesn't it? I'm an Essex Actually, Paul, I think I was at Bible College with you 30, was it 30 so years ago? Don't tell anyone, John. No. You had more hair then, but never mind. It's good to see you, Paul. <laughs> we made a both, I think. Yeah. 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 It's good to see you all. Are you all right? Everyone all right this side? Got all the roadies on this side. Just keep an eye on them. It's good to be here. We've uh, just had a new granddaughter. So we've got uh, two grandchildren now. Lacey May was uh, three weeks old yesterday, so that's wonderful. I was at a meeting the other day in a little church in Stowmarket, and I met an elderly man there, 
And he was telling me, he said, I've got 36 grandchildren. Tell you what, I felt like a real amateur. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) But you know what, I'm quite happy to be an amateur. Do you know what I mean? 36. It's amazing. Bells won the Prio again. Such great news, isn't it? Any Bells fans here? Oh, Lord, do something. (laughs) They're playing in the FA Cup final as well this afternoon. Can you switch that off, do you think? They're playing in the FA Cup final this afternoon. I hope you're all going to be there supporting them. Well, all right then. Okay. You know, God loves us so much. And not only does he love us, but he also wants us. You know, I've been in some situations and people say that they love you, but they don't really want you. He wants you. He wants everybody. Wants everybody. There's a scripture. Uh, this isn't going to be my reading. It's just a scripture that this, this I've come across this week in Ephesians chapter 5. And it's talking there about the relationship between husbands and wives. And it says there, In verse 29, after all, no one ever hated his own body, but he feeds it and cares for it, just as Christ does the church. And you know, sometimes we come to church with all kinds of, uh, all kinds of issues and problems and difficulties. We all have problems, don't we? Not one of us is perfect here this morning, are we? We all have things we're dealing with. And sometimes our our understanding and that picture that we have of the Lord as we come to worship Him isn't always the best and isn't always clear. I believe He wants to say that to people this morning, that He feeds and cares for you. He feeds and cares for you. Because He loves you so much. He loves you so much. Just to mention what's happening in the church, just to give you an update for those of you that pray for us. Uh, We've been in the church now for uh, 20 months, and so far we've seen 65 responses. It's good, isn't it? God's good. Seen 24 people get saved, and we've had 41 people recommit their lives to the Lord. God is good. Saw a young lady get saved last week. Young lady with, uh, with needs, just like the rest of us. And uh, she's given her life to the Lord. So we pray that God will bless her and encourage her. I'm praying this morning that God will interrupt us today and break into our lives. Sometimes it seems to be that we kind of get ourselves into a rut and into a routine. I mean, some routines are good. It's good to get up in the morning and wash and clean your teeth. Everybody at work really appreciates that. But you know, sometimes we can get ourselves into ruts, and I think it's good for God to break in. And the Word of God says, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to be talking a little bit about evangelism this morning, but approaching it in a slightly different way. And so I'd like you to uh, just uh, open your heart this morning to what the Lord has to say. If you've got a Bible, if you'd like to turn with me to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. And I want to read with you this morning verses 13 through to 35. Luke's Gospel, chapter 24, verses 13 through to 35. 
Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that happened. This is after the crucifixion of Jesus. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. Notice the atmosphere that there was that Jesus stepped into. One of them named Cleopas asked him, probably had a bit of an attitude I would say, Are you only a visitor to Jerusalem and do not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things? he asked. But Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. I don't know if you you know or not, but uh, in the Jewish understanding of things, up to the third day, things could happen. It was possible for God to turn situations around and to bring people uh, back to life and to step into situations. And after the third day... Everything was finished. That's why they're so adamant. And they make that comment there about the third day. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. Verse 22. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning and didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the woman had said, but him they did not see. So they're in a situation where they still don't believe. Remember when the women came back with the report, they told them that they were crazy when they said that Jesus was alive. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus acted as if he were going further. But they urged him strongly, stay with us, for it is nearly evening, the day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, And began to give it to them. Verse 31, notice this. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. Then they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true. The Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. I want to talk to you this morning from these, uh, these verses. I hope that's okay. Is that all right? I'm not so sure of that. I've got to be careful of him over in the back row. <laughs> My title for this morning's message is The Seven Mile Walk. The Seven Mile Walk. 
Can I just mention as well that every time I make mention of the gospel, the gospel is good news. The gospel is good news and not bad news. It's not boring. It's not lifeless. It's not just for the religious. It's good news. Who could do with some good news here this morning? I want to say that we have the very best news that can change and transform lives in every way. Those of us who are parents this morning, think of those moments and you've saved up some of that hard-earned cash. And you're going off on a holiday. All the clothes need to be washed and repaired and ironed if you're an ironing person. Who's an ironing person? Who's not? Don't embarrass yourself. We all know. You get the kids' clothes and you put them all to one side. In fact, you hide them away. You lock them up. Because if not, they always want to wear their favorite t-shirt on the day before you go away on holidays. And then can't understand why it can't be washed, ironed, and prepared and packed ready for them to take with them. So you need to do that. I love it when you go to the airport these days and you see the little kids now. It didn't used to be like this years ago, but now they've all got their own little suitcases, haven't they, on wheels. All of them with little patterns on them. Have you noticed that? Yeah? You do get out, you lot, do you? Come on, you should be going to the airport more than anybody. And they're all there, aren't they, trooping along, you know, mom and dad and all the kids with these little cases. Looks wonderful. Isn't it great when the kids want to help with the packing? And they sometimes, you know, when the boys grow up and they get to a certain age, you know, they want to show that they're men. And they want to carry the big cases. Oh, let me help, Dad. Well, what can you say? Other times you're desperately trying to get them to do anything. So you can't put them off, can you? And there they are carrying those big cases down the stairs. Crash into the wall. There's another gouge there. Oh, don't worry about that. We're going to redecorate that. You know, it's funny. We seem to redecorate the hallway every year around this time. That's all right. That gouge in the wall makes no difference. You know, the kids helping doesn't always make it easier, does it? But it is always good, isn't it? We need to encourage our kids. My kid's trying to help. Your kid's trying to help. I wonder if that's an image of you and I trying to help in connection with God and with the gospel and with the good news about Jesus. I sometimes wonder if that image of our little kids trying to help carrying cases far too big for them, gouging the walls as they go down the stairs and and, and breaking the spindles on the stairs as they go down and go through the front door. I wonder if sometimes that's an image of you and I Trying to help the gospel in a similar fashion. Does God get mad with us or frustrated with us? Never. Do we help him? Not always. Sometimes definitely no. Does he accommodate us? Yes. He's gracious. He watches us taking those little steps. Oh, that sounds great. Say hello to him for us, will you? It's a great ringtone, that, wasn't it? I'd be embarrassed by that, wouldn't you? Huh? John's is staying alive. 
Is that right? You know, he's so gracious to us. As we kind of, you know, as best we can, but we're kind of taking those little steps and, and we're heaving and we're struggling and we're breaking things all around. Have you noticed the kids always seem to lift the case up at the wrong time and there goes that famous and that favorite ornament that was given to us by Auntie Jean 45 years ago. And we're smashing things all around. And there we are, busy, so we think, evangelizing the world. And here's the point that I want to approach this passage from this morning. The gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. Turn to the person next to, me, next to you this morning and say, think about this. You've got problems, haven't you? <laughs> What's the matter? You've got no friends in this church? Huh? Bless his heart, eh? Like Billy Normates at the front by, aren't he? Huh? What's wrong with this church? Someone come and sit with him, man. You know, this needs some thought, doesn't it? Consideration. If you've been a Christian a long time. Think about this for a few minutes. Think about this way, the way that this could implicate and impinge on things in your life. The gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. You know, sometimes, I don't know why, it's like we, we kind of put things into such strange language and formulas and actions that are very unfa- unfamiliar and unfam- and, and, and like everything else in our life and the way we do things and the way we behave. Can you imagine saying to your neighbors and friends and work colleagues with regards to the gospel, I want to reach you. I want to reach you. Can you imagine saying that to your friends? What are they going to say? Well, I'm right here. What's wrong with you? You know, give me a ring. Send me a voicemail. Send me a text. Send me a Facebook. Send me a Twitter. I'm right here. What's wrong with you? I want to reach you. I just believe in God to really touch your life. We know what we mean. There they're thinking, you know, you just said that to your neighbor. You've just you kind of moved in and they're there and they're thinking. And he says to his wife, I thought they were all right. Suddenly, you know, they've got to go in and they've got to hoover the, the rest of the house to escape from you. The goldfish need feeding. You know, these little terms that we use as Christians, we think are very normal. But guess what? They're not. Listen up for those of us who are well, Christians want to see our neighbors encounter Jesus. Let's make it a little bit more personal here this morning. For those of us with family members, some of us have been praying and believing for our children, our husbands, our wives for many years. That loved ones would have an encounter with God's love and no such change in their lives. Let me tell you something. There are folks here this morning that have probably been pay, pray, praying for their family relatives for decades. For them to be saved and to encounter Jesus. This is serious stuff, isn't it? Of serious consequence. So let's not throw concepts and formulas and cliches around just to make a good sermon this morning. This is a matter of life and death. 
When we talk about the gospel, the gospel is the good news about Jesus Christ. It's not just that he was a prophet or a good man. It's that he was the God-man and came to save humanity from their sins. This is a big deal. I want to suggest to you this morning that this is the biggest of the biggest deals. So think carefully about what I'm saying. It will affect your relationship with your loved ones, with your neighbors, with your boss, with your friends at work. And I've just said the gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. I would like to suggest that God, when it comes to the term we have come up with, evangelizing the world, I would like to suggest that when it comes to this, and in our understanding of this, and our involvement with this, I want to suggest to you this morning that God does all the heavy lifting in this effort. Think of that picture I've given you of my kids trying to carry cases down the stairs that are too heavy for them. God does all the heavy lifting. And I think it's very important for believers not only to believe this, but to embrace it. So we can take a big breath almost and say, Everyone want to do that right now? You better do it. You, you look as if you've fallen asleep there this morning. I'm watching you. Another thing, you and I are not saviors. We're not Jesus. We're not God. We're not saviors. We cannot save ourselves, let alone save anybody else. Which, of course, changes everything. Because all I can do is share the good news about Jesus, and either it works or it doesn't. So if the gospel doesn't work, this church won't work, and it will fall flat on its face. The gospel works best when we let the gospel do the work. And let's look at this chapter from this approach. This passage is one of the very first, if not the first instance of the risen Christ doing evangelism, as we would term it. Here is the risen Christ. He has brought into being the new covenant, a new way of relating to God. He has been beaten. He has been brutalized. He has hung on a cross. He has died. He has risen again. And now in his risen state, in a new era, in a new way of relating to God. And here he is and he runs head on into doubt and unbelief. Let's take a peek into this moment revealed in time through scripture and see if we can learn something about how we ought to share the good news about Jesus Christ. Wouldn't it be amazing if we could see Jesus doing evangelism? Who thinks that would be amazing? What a great thing if we had a little window into Jesus doing outreach, evangelism. If you had a DVD that we could all watch, that would be great, wouldn't it? Up in John's office, we put it on, and we could put it on and put it on. I wonder how Jesus would do outreach. You know what? I've got some great news for you this morning. And some of you look as if you need it. Wow. We've got it all here in Luke chapter 24 he's just risen from the dead and notice this he intentionally and not accidentally encounters two men who are full of doubt and unbelief think about it 
The passage starts by telling us that these two men are going for a seven-mile walk. Two men are leaving Jerusalem and they're walking seven miles to Emmaus. I want to suggest to you this morning that that's going to take some time. What do you think? I want to suggest to you this morning, if I can be really rude for some of it, and I won't say to you, you look very fit. I want to suggest for some of us that would take a very long time. <laughs> Wouldn't it? Now come on, be honest. When was the last time some of you ever walked seven miles? Now be very honest, when was the last time in the whole life that you ever walked seven miles? I've only got to think about it and I start to get all sweaty and feel all cramped up, you know, and I just feel as if I just need to visit somewhere and get a lovely coffee and a donut. <laughs> Who's with me? I think some of you are. Oh, you look very fit. I can't believe that of you. And look at this situation and imagine it this morning. Jesus drew near to them. They didn't even know what was about to happen. Notice how the gospel works. And this is so important. Notice how the gospel works. Who drew near to who? Jesus, God, drew near to them. Think about that. Man does not draw near to God, for man does not know who or where from or even when to draw near. It says Jesus himself drew near. Verse 15. Friends, listen for a moment. If God doesn't draw near, we are wasting our time. If God doesn't draw near, this would be a sham. This would be a charade. I can do no more to get God to draw near to me than I can run a four-minute mile or climb Mount Everest. If God does not draw near, the church of Jesus Christ, I want to suggest, is doomed. But friends, God continually draws near from one generation to the next. He continues to draw near to humanity. As he does here, he continues to draw near to humanity with purpose and with intent and with care and with concern and with mercy and with love and with grace. He draws near. Think about that this morning. The Bible tells us that these two men are in conversation. Studying how people converse is a fascinating science. You can learn a lot about a person by how they enter a conversation. How they treat conversations, how they exit conversations. Have you ever met the conversation dictator? Have you? Is there anyone like that in this church? Don't look around now. You'll get embarrassed. You can be in, in a full-on, exciting, engaging conversation with someone. And this third party suddenly comes over and they feel like they have a mandate from God to sabotage, to pirate and to take over the conversation. Do you know what I mean? What are you guys talking about? 
Hey, did you know, since I got a new jumper, I went to Creasy's yesterday, bought this new jumper. Doesn't it look great? I tell you what, have you heard about what I'm doing at work? Have you heard about me? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about what I'm doing here? Have you heard about buying a new house? Have you heard about this? Have you heard about that? Ever come across anyone like that? You were just engaged in a conversation with a friend. And suddenly it's all about, it's all about them. Have you sometimes done it as well? I know I have. Oh, I feel so sorry and embarrassed. Think about this this morning. Jesus drawing near. These two are in conversation. I want to suggest to you this morning that if anyone should take over a conversation... It should be the one who gave you the breath to breathe in and out to have that conversation. I think he holds legal right to come in and say, let's talk about me. It's Jesus we're talking about, right? The risen Savior. He has every right to do that. But notice how Jesus does it. And let's not forget as well, because sometimes we blame these things on the fact that we're so busy, don't we? Do you know what I mean? We've got such a lot of other things. I want to suggest to you that Jesus has probably got a tighter schedule than us, don't you? I want to suggest he's probably involved in more important things than we are. I know you guys are all very important. But I want to suggest that Jesus, the Son of God, has got more important things on his agenda and schedule. These two really don't have a clue, do they, what's going on? They don't even recognize him. What does he do? Here's Jesus evangelizing. Hey, what are you guys talking about? He doesn't kind of jump in front and say, Hey, it's me! He doesn't do that. No, it's, hey, what are you guys, what are you guys talking about? He goes on to say, you guys look sad. He immediately identifies with them. Hey, are you guys okay? He simply enters the conversation, gently drawing alongside them, pointing out their needs and their concerns. What's on your mind? And then he asks questions after he has, in a sense, been insulted. You know, Cleopas, besides looking mad and miserable, I think Cleopas has got a bit of an attitude, don't you? He's clearly fed up. And he takes a bit of a shot across Jesus, doesn't he? Are you the only guy around here that doesn't know what's been happening? It's like, have you been living alone in a cave somewhere? You know, is everything working up there? Are you really awake? Is there anybody in there? What's going on with you? Wake up! You know, Jesus is so gentle, isn't he? Jesus is so gentle. It's like he says, no. He said, what's all this stuff? What's going on? What things? Go on. You keep talking. Notice how Jesus engages 
with them. Notice how he steps over anything that would interrupt or cause offense. Because, you know, it's so easy for us to take offense, isn't it, when we begin to talk to someone. Do you take offense when somebody begins to swear? I was at uh, Fulham against Arsenal the other week. And I was in the neutral area. I'm a Fulham supporter. My son's an Arsenal supporter. I'm in a neutral area at the Fulham ground. It's normally a mixture of fans because that's one of the special things about Fulham. I think I was the only Fulham supporter in there. In the end, I was so embarrassed, I was actually covering up my scarf at my ground. And they're all there, come on, you Reds, right down my ears. It was the longest 90 minutes I've ever had in my life. Oh, I tell you what. You listen to the way these guys were going for it. And some of the things they were saying, I tell you what, my, my toenails were curling up. Huh? And these are the insults they were shouting at their own, their own players. You know, we so easily take offense. We so easily get knocked off our strides. We so easily allow people just to throw us and throw us off track. You know, sometimes as well as Christians, we aren't too good with dialogue, are we? We're reaching out. We're touching people with the gospel. We're good with monologue. We're so good with that. We have our monologue already rehearsed. It may be this morning that you will hear this and God will challenge you and you'll think, if you don't hear the message and hear it properly, you'll think, you'll get up in the morning, you'll have a look in the mirror and you'll rehearse your, your monologue 25 times. Do you remember there used to be evangelism explosion in the past? Do you remember? Whatever's going on with someone, oh, I've just lost my great auntie. If you were to go to heaven tonight and get to the pearly gates and someone was to say to you, why should I allow you into heaven? It's not appropriate. I just lost my auntie. Do you know what I mean? And we rehearse our, our monologue 25 times because we haven't spoken to anybody about Jesus for five years. And we kind of sum up all our courage. And we almost think it's like one monologue fits every situation and fits every person. We're going to the restaurant. Who likes going out and eating? Oh, I do. Too much. Do you know what I mean? We get to the restaurant, and Jim's there, comes to you, he's, got, he's the waiter, he's got his name badge on. Hi, I'm Paul. Do you know about Jesus? Mm, no. Uh, you did say you wanted a steak, didn't you, sir? Uh, did you want peppercorn sauce on there? Uh, uh, did you want chips or mash? I want to tell you, I want to tell you, unless you know Jesus, you've had your chips. <laughs> if you don't listen to what I have to tell you about Jesus, you've had your chips. Let mind your mashed potatoes. Who is your anchor in the storms of life? The guy goes off into the kitchen and he says to one of the guys, he said, I think there's somebody from out of town over on that table. Can you deal with them? I haven't got a clue what they're on about. Poor Jim's still not sure what you're on about. He still doesn't know whether you want chips or peppercorn sauce. One monologue fits all. Just change the names. Jim, Terry, June. You know, we don't want to walk with someone, do we? So often for seven miles. We like the seven second walk. Jesus says, hey, what stuff's going on? And notice this, he lets them pour it all out. I want to suggest to you that Jesus knows everything that's going on, don't you? After all, it's all about Jesus they're talking about. Don't you think he knows what's going on? 
And he lets these guys go talking round and round in circles. He has the answer. In fact, he is the answer. How long does he walk and let them talk? Because the scripture says that towards the end of their conversation, obviously a lot of it was, was him then breaking down the entire Old Testament. But how long does he walk with them, just allowing them to talk? And I believe there's a message in there for every one of us. He just let them talk. And just listens. Friends, if you don't hear anything else this morning, I want to say to you, that is so important. To just engage with people and let them talk. Give people time to tell their story. I remember there was an elderly lady I used to visit once and she was quite uh, frail. And she didn't get out at all really. And I'd go to her house to do a pastoral visit. I'd get in the house and she'd ask me and give me the opportunity just to answer one question. Do you want a cup of tea and a biscuit? And that was it. For the rest of the time, I just sat there, and for the next 40, 45 minutes, all she did was go. And I just sat there and enjoyed my cup of tea and biscuit. <laughs> you know, we need to let people tell their story. There's people outside, and they feel that they've got no one they can share their story with. No one at all. We also, if I can say this as well, we need to allow people to bore us. Because not everyone's got an exciting story, have they, as far as you're concerned? But I want to tell you that as far as they're concerned, it's the most exciting story in the world. And we just need to give them time and opportunity just to let it all out. And to listen. Perhaps this week, you could meet with someone and give them an opportunity for them to share their story with you on the bus at the hairdressers in town in the cafe at the school gates and then he opens the scriptures to them he doesn't have to get the book out because he is the walking, talking living book and you know what he uses the bible to do and this is so important and so interesting in the flow of conversation he starts using the bible and he uses the book to point to a person not to point to a principle or set of principles because I want to say to you this morning principles never save anyone what raises Christianity above all other beliefs is that we do not just hold on to a few ideal principles we cling to a person and the power of the message is in a person and his name is Jesus. The power of our news is not about principles and character quality. It's about a person. And Jesus used the Old Testament to point to a person. Remember what Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Sadducees? He said, you've searched this book. He meant the Old Testament. For in it you think you have life. But it points to me. He unfolds the Ten Commandments, the words of the prophets. They all point to him. They point and they prophesy to a Messiah. Notice this as I start to close this morning. Jesus shows them the way. He's just delivered all of that to them after he's allowed them to unpack their lives and given them the opportunity. 
Then he points to a Messiah. And then what does he do? Does he press them to respond? We sometimes feel the pressure, don't we? To press them to accept Jesus. What about Jesus? He tells them, and notice this, he makes to move on. Have you seen that in that story? He makes to move on. And it's almost like, this is, this is Jesus here doing evangelism, and he knows his presence and his spirit is at work in these men. And he gives them the opportunity to choose what they want to do next. To go on alone, or to invite him to come with them. We panic sometimes, we pressurize I want to say to you this morning, let the gospel do the work. There's power in Jesus' name. There's power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to regain again our confidence in the gospel. The good news about Jesus Christ. And notice as the story goes on, as as they say, please come with us. And he spends time with them. He tells us then that as he shared a meal with them. That their eyes were opened. Their eyes were opened. When they saw Jesus serving them, their eyes were opened. And they suddenly recognized who had been with them on that seven mile walk. Jesus himself. Jesus himself, the risen Savior. The King of Kings. The Lord of Lords. So the Alpha and the Omega. The risen Savior. The one who had gone to the cross and been crucified. Who had been brutalized. Who had been beaten. Who had been whipped. Who had been tortured. Who had been mocked. Had risen from the dead. And walked with them on that seven mile journey. Notice it was as they were reminded of his broken body. It was as they were reminded of the consequences of the cross. As they were reminded of his words concerning what he was going to do. As he as he'd foretold them, remember at the last supper, that this would represent his broken body. That this would represent his blood. That it would be the new covenant that he was bringing into force because he was the Lamb of God. The sacrifice of God who alone, only alone, could pay the price for your sin and for mine. And their eyes were opened. And they recognized that it was all about Jesus. It was all about him. See, we need to rest in that situation of resting in the completed work of Calvary. We need to rest in the fact that his broken body and his sacrifice has done it all. You see, your sacrifices can't save you. Your works can't save you. Only Jesus can do that. And when we see him and his sacrifice, when we see him serving us, when we see him doing this for us, when we see that he went to the cross, not only for the sins of the world, but he went to the cross for me. He went to the cross to pay the price for my sins so that I could be forgiven because he loves me and he wants me. It was then that their eyes were opened. And they cried out, Jesus, Jesus, he's here right now. He's here with us this morning. He wants to be your savior today. He wants to open your eyes.
Thank you for listening to this free download from Delancey Elam Church. For more downloads or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelam.co.uk.